0: Conspiracy. It's a podcast about crisis. Crisis in our relationships, our families, and ourselves. In it, you will hear our host, Josh Buck, and a variety of others share and unfold intense stories of crisis, paralysis, and death.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Sackcloth Conspiracy. This is Josh, and I am so glad you tuned in today. So imagine that you were born without legs and without a family. That's the story of our guest today, Anna Zaitama. But it does not stop there. Her story of faith and hope is second to none. Romans 8.15 says, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry Abba father. The word Abba is Aramaic. The closest English translation is daddy. So even if we don't have an earthly daddy because of our worth to him, he chooses us. He adopts us and loves us like a daddy. This is the story today. Hold on to your hats because Anna is amazing. Here we go. Today we are in the studio with Anna Zaidema. Hi, Anna. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. How about you?
1: Great. We've got one obvious similarity right off the bat. We're both in wheelchairs <laughs> and we're both good with it. She has a website What's the title of it?
0: Legless and Loving Life.
1: Legless and Loving Life. I love it. And so we're here in the office chatting with Marlo. And so I was actually making fun of Marlo for not having a wheelchair. (laughs) Yes, it was great. So I just want you guys to hear a little bit of honest story. And just like we always do, we try to um, get to the heart of things and try to see where the crisis is in people's lives and how God has redeemed that. And that's certainly your story, Anna. So um, why don't you just take a minute and maybe tell us where you were born and um, what your first couple years of life were like.
0: Yeah, sure. I was born in Albania. Um, it's in Eastern Europe. And I was born into a Muslim family. Uh, when I was born, my birth parents were caught completely off guard because I was born with without legs and shortened arms and not... 10 fingers, but seven. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyways, in their culture, I was considered cursed by Allah. And so I was abandoned at the hospital where I stayed for about two months. Uh, and then my biological grandma was courageous enough to take me to a Christian orphanage. And wow. the reason why that is courageous is because in the Muslim cultures, anyone who's born, like I said, is considered cursed. And secondly, uh, she risked being ostracized by her friends and neighbors. Wow. Uh, so at the orphanage, uh, even though it was a Christian orphanage, there were still Muslim people who worked there. And so, yeah, I was considered cursed there by some of them as well.
1: Unbelievable. So when you're considered cursed, does that mean that you just can't be really considered as a person and you need to be ignored? Or what does that mean that you're cursed?
0: Uh, they didn't want to take care of me basically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was left in a crib. Um, most of the days. real. Yeah. Um. So fortunately, God sent a Christian, actually a couple, maybe even three, uh, missionary ladies to the orphanage, and they taught through example that I was worthy of love, and through that, uh, some of the uh, orphanage workers began seeing me as a person to be valued and loved. Yeah. And they began taking care of me.
1: What are your feelings towards? You know, Albania. And not like, do you love, hate, Albania. But if you would have had to stay in Albania, you probably wouldn't have had much of a life.
0: No, I would have um, been in an orphanage if I hadn't died in the orphanage. Uh, if If I lived to be like 16, then I would have been kicked out on the streets living as a beggar or as a prostitute.
1: Unbelievable. You see pictures on Compassion International or you see pictures online of you know, an Indian beggar on the streets in India. um, Maybe with some sort of disability, they can't move around, but I would be in tough shape if I got kicked out on the streets. I would die within three days. And without medication for nerve pain and stuff like that, yeah. I would be a wreck within a couple days. And I would imagine you could you could walk around at least, uh-huh. which is amazing. Have oh. you seen the guy? Oh, I wish I could think of his name Nick Voich. Oh, you nailed it. Have you ever met him? Yeah, what was that like? Oh my gosh, if you guys don't know, uh pronounce his name again Nick
0: Nick Voch
1: Voch. so Nick um is a motivational speaker, amazingly strong Christian man who doesn't have any arms or legs. But can kind of walk around, has one like partial foot. I've seen him toss a tennis ball up and down and catch it. So the two of these guys together, Nick and Anna, you guys need to take it on the road. I bet you would be hilarious. It would be awesome to see you guys both up on stage moving around. But I can just imagine, I'm getting completely off track now. <laughs> I can totally imagine what life would be like, you know, for you the street just moving around walking around would be incredibly difficult and you would probably die pretty quick too mm-hmm.
0: well actually when i was in the orphanage i couldn't walk or move very much because i was always in the uh, crib most of the time um and so actually i wouldn't probably have that mobility it was actually when i came home to america that i learned to walk and and crawl wow i
1: mean that just cuts right to the heart of the Christian faith that people are worthy of love from the best to the least, from the most physically able to the most physically disabled that we are worthy of love. Mm -hmm. And you just make me smile. You know, my story has similarities to yours as far as feeling good about life. You know, it took took a couple of years for for me to feel that way after Mm -hmm. my accident. You know, and it took you quite a bit to get there as well. Mm-hmm. So you were adopted at what age?
0: I was almost three. I was like sure. two weeks.
1: So you were basically in the orphanage till about three.
0: Uh, yeah um, actually my parents came, my adoptive parents came to uh, the orphanage when I was in November of 1999 and um, just around our Thanksgiving time and they were able to um, sign the papers to adopt me. However I had to stay for a month to be able to get everything processed. Actually, I wasn't supposed to come home to America until January sometime. Um, So my mom was there for one week to do the court hearing, and then she left to go back to America. My dad stayed behind with me to take care of me, and I was actually able to move into an apartment with him. Wow. And um, because of some conflicts um, that were going on in Albania, and because of Christmas time coming along, they were going to shut down what I believe is the U.S. Embassy, I believe they were going to shut down for a little bit. And, um. But thankfully, through the work of people here in the United States, they were able to get me home just in time for Christmas instead of January, because it was not a safe place to be at the time.
1: Yeah. So after you were in America, you didn't have... You know, any sort of contact with your biological family um, until when?
0: No, I I actually had contacts with my birth family up until I was eight. So some gotcha. at some point, we were able to maintain a relationship.
1: Gotcha. So then all the way up through eight, you could at least contact mom and dad?
0: Yep. Yep. Through uh, letters, usually. Um, I do remember uh, we did phone calls at least a few times. Um, I don't actually remember that very well I only remember one time where I uh, heard a lady's voice on the other end and I hope that that was my birth mom though I'm not can't actually remember for sure
1: yeah so what happened at
0: eight um, I my family and I <laughs> we made a video uh, showing them how I could do things uh, around the house and just move and then at one point uh, I had recited chapter Romans 8. And we sent that to them. And I think also through a letter as well, we made it clear that I had become a Christian. And all of a sudden, we had lost contact with them. It, it was nothing. It, when... it was painful e- emotionally. It Absolutely. Um, and I had realized that God was the one who allowed it to happen. Um, I... I on uh, the only way I know I describe it is I just didn't wanna have anything to do with God.
1: So you're cursed and so no one will talk to you or consider you as a person. Somehow that hurdle is overcome and people start considering you as who you are, which is an amazing, amazing young lady that we've had so much fun today. I'm recording a podcast with Anna having met her two hours ago. <laughs> Um, So, just an incredible young lady. You know, at that point, you know, you go from being cursed to being a person, but now you're a Christian, and so you're a pariah again. All of a sudden, they won't talk to you again. And as an eight-year-old, what does that do?
0: Um, Actually, I didn't really... It didn't seem to have an effect that much on me um, until I was about 11 years old. And then I began to realize, like, hey, why aren't they in my life? Like, what happened to them, you know? And I began to wonder if I was disowned uh, from my faith. Um, and then I, I began to struggle with God. I didn't want to to be with God, really. Um, but God pursued me, though. He would ask me, you know, do you surrender to me? Are you going to follow my ways? And for a while, I, I just kept pushing away and saying, no, I, no, I don't want to.
1: Yeah. And so that continued on from 11 till when?
0: Till I was 13.
1: And at 13, what begins to happen?
0: Um, just one night, it, it, the feelings of being rejected again, or at least feeling that way anyways, uh, just broke me, um. And I God had asked me again, you know, do you surrender to me?" and I, I knew at that point in my life that if I was going to experience peace in my life, it was only going to be through him and him only. you know I wasn't going to find it in any human relationship. Um, it was only going to be through him and so God began so i I knowing that, I gave my life back to Christ, and God began to fill that void in me with love and acceptance that he would never leave me nor forsake me. And Joshua 1, five actually popped in in my head. Actually, I don't know if it was my head or if it was through scripture reading, but it meant a lot to me. And it says, uh, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you.
1: I'm just so struck by... First of all, the maturity of a 13-year-old to grasp those things. And second of all, even just sitting here as a 19-year-old to continue to rely on those truths. Because they are truths. And like we were saying, God values us as human beings, as reflections of Him, as His sons and daughters, as His adopted loved ones. But for us to be able to grasp that there's you know, such a step of faith that mm-hmm. has to happen. And the step of faith that you need to take is probably bigger than the rest of us. Just because of the challenges that have been put in your way. But the maturity and the grace and the Holy Spirit of a 13 year old to be able to step that way. Can you see how huge that is and how How different that is? That step of faith for you?
0: In my life, I I see that.
1: So, I mean, your faith is so great that it's inspiring to me. And there are hundreds, someday thousands of people that will listen to this podcast that are going to be inspired in the same way. Well, thank you. And so after that step is made what does life look like from 13 to now
0: um, um when I was 14 actually uh, I was going struggling with some depression and hurt and I've uh, sense God leading me to give my testimony at a homeschool group and I told at first told God no I don't want to you know I, I don't see hope in front of me how can I give other people hope you know it it didn't make sense to me and but God kept pushing me to do it and so finally I I took the step of faith and I did it and uh even though it wasn't like in immediate effect um but I could still sense that the healing was beginning to happen that God was through my testimony God was beginning to heal me and he was also uh beginning to heal other people
1: It's unbelievable. Are you kidding me? I don't know. I feel like I need to drive my wheelchair through the wall or something. I don't know what to do. I'm so floored. Okay. We're going to stop this podcast right now because you've got to go. But this isn't the end of you on my podcast. (laughs) Anna, thank you so much for, uh, we're just having a conversation and I just throw headphones on Anna plug in a mic i'm like hey let's do a podcast so thank you for being flexible and go with the flow and um man i gotta feel like i gotta pray or something
0: well thank you very much
1: god thank you so much um for anna and just how inspiring this 19 year old is and what a lesson uh of faith that she's learned and what we can learn from her faith god holy cow In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. What? What is happening right now? You didn't hear that part. What? What? That Anna said about the speaking at 1914 giving her testimony. I knew that was going to just floor you. Well, I left that last little bit in there for you as kind of an outtake just to see our response here in the office as we were recording that. So, um, yeah, if you want to hear more stories like this of redemption and uh, just crazy antics at JSBFM Studios, stay tuned to The Sackcloth Conspiracy. Hit me at josh at jsbfm.org if you've got any questions for me or for Anna. And, uh, yeah, thanks for listening.